Financial decisions. You face them at every turn. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel like you might be missing something or making a mistake? Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner at Step Right Capital Planning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Step Right with Lynn this morning. I'm so pleased to have you with us. Today, we're going to talk about a spring subject, finally. And before we get to that, I'd like to tell you a little bit about the purpose of the show and what we're trying to accomplish here. One thing is that I like to do is to give people and organizations the opportunity to tell about the contributions that they're making in our communities. If you know someone or an organization that's making a contribution, I'd be pleased if you brought their work to my attention. There's so many great stories out there that I would love to share with you. Next, we share traditional money management practices that we can all benefit from. And I'm pleased to have had on many professionals on the show that have brought us a lot of great money management techniques as well. The next goal of the show is to assist you in your planning. And you know that I advocate for planning for everything, major purchases, vacations, children's education, retirement, or your charitable giving, perhaps even a gift in your will, that legacy that you may wish to leave. So remember that we're always here to help, and I think that I'll introduce our guest at this point. My guest is best-selling author, gardening columnist, and consultant Marjorie Harris. Marjorie shares the best money-saving techniques for creating a beautiful garden in any space. The highly anticipated sequel to her popular book, Thrifty, Living the Frugal Life with Style, is Thrifty Gardening and married Marjorie's passion for horticulture with her frugal lifestyle savvy so that everyone can create a natural oasis whatever their living situation is and without breaking the bank. Marjorie lives in Toronto with her husband, writer Jack Batten. Marjorie is Canada's best-known gardener. She's the national gardening columnist for the Globe and Mail. She's the author of 15 books. She has written articles published in scads of well-known magazines. She is a much-in-demand speaker, and we're thrilled to have her here with us today. Welcome, Marjorie. Hello. How are you? I just got in from slogging around in the mud. Did you? Oh, you've been out. Yes. You've been out digging oh. today. Absolutely. I live on a floodplain, which of course ah. is a totally insane place to put a, a house, but they didn't know that in 1904 when they built all these houses. Right. And we have a flood every spring, and every spring we're always surprised, but I have some pumps, and they're working, so I'm ah. ready for anything right now. Yeah, I, I think we live on the edge of the swamp, so I think we have a lot in common already. <laughs> Oh, you do. You do. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. But yes, it's mud season. Mud season has started. Have you seen the sun in Toronto today? Yes, it was lovely this morning, but it's starting to bloom up and it looks like it's going to rain. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's looking like here too. I didn't actually see the sun this morning even, so it's been pretty cloudy and I think they promised us sun. That's why I'm especially disappointed. Well, the sunny is warm and... What's really wonderful about this is that everything looks just terrible right now, but mm-hmm. everything is poking up from the soil, and I never clean up my leaves. And I and I know that in a couple of weeks, the worms will have pulled them all underground. Everything will look gorgeous, and everything mm-hmm. will be covered with 
Temecula and various other lovely little spring bulbs. But this particular day, this particular weekend, <laughs> it looks horrible. Right, right. Well, a lot of us are are very anxious to get out in our gardens. And if you were out there in the mud today, you're obviously very anxious to get out there too. Are you finding that the frost is out of the ground even? No, not at all. I've never seen frost that's gone that deeply into the ground. And I've talked to a lot of the contractors and people who work in this business, and they're finding the same thing. It's just incredible how deep it went this last winter. You know, the winter that never seems to end. And so you've got to be very, very careful. Don't rush things too much. And whatever you do, don't start raking up the leaves and doing anything like that. I always advise people just to make things look neat, you know, uncover paths, certainly cut back grasses at this point. That would be quite safe. Okay. And just make things look tidy and not get too sort of housewifey about it at all. Okay. Yeah, we get pretty anxious. Because of the way, you know, it just doesn't look the nicest and we're anxious to get out there and get things prepared. So what else can we do at this point? Is there some planning that we can do at this point? Absolutely. I mean, this this is the perfect time to look around the garden, see where all the cold spots in your garden are, the last bits of ice and snow to go. You know that those are the coldest areas of your garden, and they're going okay. to be slightly different microclimate than say, a south-facing fence that's all nice and warmed up and it's got snowdrops and whatnot all over it. So if you keep that in mind when you're making plans, and if you've got ideas for how to fix up the garden right now, this is a good time to be thinking about it. Take some photographs of the garden right now and print them out in black and white, you know, just throw them through the copier. And have a look at that and see where all the visual holes might be. You can tell from looking at a photograph at this time of year whether you've got enough evergreens in your garden, for instance. We know that in the middle of the winter we love evergreens, and in the summertime we don't think about them. But if you look right now and you don't see a pattern of evergreens going through your garden, that's something to put on the top of your list. The other thing is to look look at where you've got grasses. Ornamental grasses are very, very useful, and they can be a blessing or they can be just awful. You can have too many and it looks like a hayfield. Or you can have not not quite enough and they just sort of look stranded. I've got uh, one fairly large grass. I've forgotten what it is. But it's a huge thing and right now it's looking like a tent. It'll be a nice a hideous brown tent. And I thought, wow, if I, if I had another grass in front of it that was either uh, blue or a color, how gorgeous would that look at this time of year? So I would put that on my list of plants to get. You can also see pretty well where what you should be cutting back. If you've got perennials, look at the base and don't start cutting back until you see new growth because oh. they still need wet protection from the wind and from, you know, and we're going to have another snow. We know that. Oh. It always snows on April 23rd, I swear. And, <laughs> you know, and most plants will be able to cope with anything that comes up you know, from now on, as long as they're protected. And in a few weeks, you can start putting compost on top of the leaves almost gone, again, to protect the soil and, and so that it won't get, it won't get burned by the sun. When there are no leaves on the ground, that's a lot of sun beating down there. Mm-hmm. Edging and making things look neat. Yeah. It sort yeah. of gives you, it gives you a good feeling. Yeah. It, it makes so- you feel good, even if the plants don't care. 
So when you're talking about the perennials, some of those perennials that had real tall stems, I cut them down in the fall. Should I not have done that, or is it okay as long as I left? You were talking about the protection of those, the protection that the old growth was giving to the new growth. Yeah, I tend not to cut my things back in fall because I like to have a look at them in the wintertime. I like the shadows on snow. In spring, of course, I say, oh, why didn't I cut all this stuff back? (laughs) But it's also, there's a lot of fodder out there for the animals and for birds, and uh, I I don't like to disturb that ecological balance. So I I have a tendency to wait until spring to cut stuff back. Okay. We're going to talk about, you know, where people maybe spend money that they shouldn't spend, and, and maybe even places where people may cut corners where they'd be better to have spent the money there. So I'm just going to open it up and let you tell us what are some of the things that you see where we could be doing a better job. Where I see people cutting corners, and it really makes me mad, is in the quality of soil they use. If people are making new beds, they have a tendency to go out and buy bags and so-called magic bat, you know, forget it. If you're going to replace the soil or if you must replace soil, Find somebody who's got a beautiful black loam. If it's drainage that is your problem, maybe it has a little bit of sand in it and certainly some compost. But don't get all involved with having triple mix and all of these expensive things. It's a waste of money. And the important thing is to make sure that the drainage is good. You can check this by just pouring buckets of water and timing it. And if the drainage is lousy, it probably means you've got clay soil. So, you know, sand does help, but it's not going to change the soil profile. The thing that's going to make the best difference is adding a lot of compost and either make it yourself or go someplace that's got a reliable source of compost. I go to a duck farm and I love duck compost. Oh boy, it's like the magic bullet. It's just extraordinary. Yep. It's not cheap, but it's worth it. I saw on Facebook recently that we could test our soil's acidity if we mixed our soil with vinegar, and if it bubbled when it was mixed with vinegar, then our soil was alkaline. And if we mixed our soil with baking soda and then we got bubbled, then the soil was actually acidic at that time. So I'm curious if that's actually something that you can do. Is that true? Yes, it is. If you try it with vinegar and it fizzes, you know that you've got an acidic soil and ditto with nothing happens. You probably got a more neutral soil. I find that I mainly look at soil with what's growing all around. For instance, if you've got a lot of evergreens, you know you're going to have some acidic soil. The okay. soil is going to be more acidic. For instance, I live in, a, in an area that is really full of clay. And I watch people put ericaceous plants in there, things like rhododendrons and dahlias. And watch them just flounder for years and years and years before, you know, it takes 15 years to change the soil. So I always deal oh. with what I've got. And okay. usually it's somewhere in the middle. I, I mean, I'm not terribly fussy about all that sort of stuff. So if your soil is acidic, is it ever too acidic to grow anything? Or Oh, no, no, no. I think that you'd have to be in such an extreme place for it to be too acidic. But the thing is, if you're adding a lot of compost, you're feeding the soil while it's feeding the plants as well. And I believe in this so strongly that I just don't even think about any of that stuff anymore, particularly. I mean, I know that I can't grow a lot of ericaceous plants. Well, you make your peace with that. I'm a pretty laissez-faire gardener in many, many ways, certainly with my own garden. 
Okay. So back to what we were talking about before. You spoke about the compost, and you mentioned the duck compost. Oh, it's wonderful. And so that's really where we need to start when we go out to our garden. You do. To make sure that your soil is in good shape, we always, to all our gardens, we add a lot of duck compost in the spring. Once the soil has warmed up a bit, and I never move the leaves off, I just clean up as best one can, and then add a lot of compost, because it's really easy to spread it around in the spring, because you're, I mean, you can throw it everywhere. It doesn't matter if it lands on top of plants. Later on, you might get a little bit more fussy about it being on leaves and stuff. But if you do it early enough in the spring, you can toss it all over the place and save yourself a lot of time and energy. And Mm. it's working almost immediately. Mm, Okay. If you've got any left over, throw it into your compost bin because it'll speed up what's going on in there. Right. So I guess if you have beds where you've put down, you know, the landscape fabric and that kind of thing, that's not so good, is it? I think landscape fabric is another one of these things that's very expensive. It's fine. If you're trying to create a path, for instance, I would put landscape fabric down just to hold back some of the weeds and things that might come up. Okay, yeah. And, you know, and then you put gravel and stuff on top of it, and and it might hold it down. But it falls apart or it can hang around for too long. I tend not to use it unless it's absolutely necessary. I don't know. Where would you use landscape fabric? (laughs) I've got a couple of beds out the front where... I use it around the edge of them because the grass will come in very easily into those beds. So it helps me to not have to do so much digging. Yep, that can be useful. But as I say, I tend to uh, not use it because it's another one of those expenses that I don't care to have around. (laughs) I use very, very few utensils and I use very few anything else's in my gardening. And it is an extremely lush and productive place. I guess one of my challenges is we're in the country, we're on a 20-acre property, so we have a large yard. I used to say that, you know, when you live in town, you can buy a maple tree and an evergreen and a tulip and you've landscaped. Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. When you have a big yard, it's just you can bring in 20 trees and it just looks like you're just getting started. Well, I have have a, a property that's 19 feet wide and 130, 40 feet deep. And I put hundreds of trees in it and shrubs and whatever. And I just keep adding to the density of the planting every year. And the more you can plant, the healthier ecology is going to be without, you know, jamming stuff together. And if you do it in layers, 20 acres is something I'd just kill for to have that much space. But, uh, you know, with, with a country property, the smartest thing to do is to take very small bits at a time and work outwards. Okay, yeah. You know, you create scenes as you go, as you build, you know, framing various views. There are lots of wonderful books, and not not the least of which is Thrifty Gardening, on how to do this, how to, to break up spaces and make them more manageable. I mean, people get so intimidated by small spaces, by big spaces, by any spaces, I think. Mm-hmm. I was trying to tell you a story about the importance of really good soil. Yes. I had a a garden I was doing where they had to excavate it because it had been completely smashed up from the renovation, that it was not worth putting soil on top of it. So they had it excavated, but they got a guy who gave them a really good deal on some soil, (laughs) and they had to call us back in, and we had to retrofit the soil. And that is really hard to do because every year we have to put masses and masses more compost than ever. And then the garden next to it, 
was done properly, and everything is about five times the size. The plants are much happier. If there are similar plants in each garden, one is doing so much better than the other. And by being cheap about soil and compost and mulch, you are really, really cheating the plants. So I always tell people that the most expensive part of a new garden is going to be the prep with all of this, and the plants are the last part, and they're the cheapest. So the soil that they brought in that wasn't good, what was wrong with it? Was it clay? It's just, oh, it was just some sort of, you know, some crap that they picked up. It just wasn't loamy. It didn't look beautiful. It didn't smell beautiful. It didn't feel beautiful. Really good soil is just a pleasure to touch. It smells wonderful. This is just dirt. As I say, it just didn't have enough organic matter in it, didn't have enough sand in it, and I suspect it had a lot of peat in it. We have clay soil here, so peat moss just turns into cement. That's the other thing that bothers me that happens all the time, is that the mowers and blowers will come around, probably not out in the country, but certainly they do in the city, and they have their great big bags of peat moss saying that they're going to fertilize the soil. And boy, you see that coming at you, and you want to get rid of them immediately because it will not fertilize the soil. Ah, okay. So are you talking about, like, grass clippings at that? that Grass clippings are fine. I mean, I've watched these landscapery types, gardeners so-called, just tossing peat moss around on top of grass, which, of course, it's it's a sterile medium. It's, It's going to suck the moisture out of the soil. Okay. Okay, so we have spent as much as we can then on our soil, and we've got it mixed with compost. And then once you've planted, it should be mulched properly. Now, I happen to like a composted pine bark. It's whatever is local to your area, but it should be well composted, the mulch. And I don't buy that dyed stuff. It looks awful. (laughs) It looks so fake. It looks wrong. There's the the very red, and now there's a very black, too. Yes. What do you think about the black one? Oh, terrible. I mean, uh, (laughs) mulch should look like mulch. And you should have so many plants. Barely see it anyhow. Uh huh. Yeah. Which can take a while. Oh well, yeah, all. but over the years, if you get that horrible stuff that you know, you know, that hasn't been finely milled, that looks mm-hmm. like a city garden. Yeah, there's some with big chunks of bark in it, kind of. Oh, it looks terrible. Or wood. It takes for her to break down. Yeah. And I think something that's more finely ground is easier to work with too. Oh, so much easier. Looks better. So much easier to use. You know, ground-up leaves, we happen to have a composting program, and they will pick up our leaves, and then we get them back again. It's terrific. Oh, well, that's cool. So are we ready for plants now? In our theoretical garden? Yes, we are. But you let let all of this settle for a couple of days and give it good water and make sure that the drainage is good and then start planting. Now, when you're planting, make sure that the root systems have been nicely soaked so that you're not just putting them into the ground dry. This is a really big mistake. Just to soak them in a tub, fluff out the root system, and make sure that you've got a large enough hole to fit everything and that they should be placed in the soil at ground level so that you're not planting too deep and you're not planting too high. You know, it's like the old Goldilocks syndrome. Just right and make sure that you pat it down with your foot, your heel, part of your hand, This is for perennials. Now, with trees, we like to plant proud, which means that you've got a really wide hole, and it's no deeper than the depth of your uh, root system, and it is slightly higher than the surface of the soil. This means that the water runs away from the plant and not into the bark where it could rot out. Okay. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's not what I would do with a tree. <laughs> I don't do it that way. Oh, it's, listen, it's the only way to plant a tree. Because okay. if you plant with huge, huge holes below the root system, you know, once they go beyond that soil, everything is going to change for them. So the thing to do is to make the hole wide enough. And then once you've planted everything, you know, filled it in, we use the native soil. Use the soil that you've taken out of the hole. But if you don't make it wide enough, the roots haven't got the place to spread out their feeder systems. And we always water for at least 45 minutes very, very gently with the hose after we plant something and, and keep that up twice a week until they're really well established. Okay. But what you said was it's important that the water not sit against the, I guess, the trunk. Run tree. up against the bark. You see people making holes for trees and dumping the trees into the hole and just filling them up. Well, if the water is all going towards the bark, it shouldn't do that. It should go towards the root system. It should run away from the, the skirt of the tree. Okay. You mentioned something there, you know, to check our drainage before we even got planting. What if our drainage is poor then? Are we needing to add more compost or sand? Or Yeah, I would add a lot of compost. And if you've got a lot of paper that you've been grinding up, things like that, anything that's organic that's going to break down fairly quickly. Sand can be helpful. If it's really, really uh, clayey, I, w I would dig things up as much as you can and add a lot of organic matter. Okay. So what about vegetables? Do you work any vegetables into the landscape? Most people are doing that these days. I don't have enough sun in my own garden, but when I have a sunny garden, I like to add some kale, there's some, oh, there's some wonderful seeds that are coming out this year. I've just got a thing of seeds right in front of me. It's a Tuscany baby leaf kale. Now, I'm going to give this a whirl in my own garden because it usually takes at least six hours of sun a day to grow vegetables successfully. And I'm going to find a little sunny spot for this stuff because I love kale. Yeah, yeah. It would be great in a window box or in a container on a balcony, front right. garden. There are a lot of front garden, uh, vegetable gardens I'm seeing all around me now. I think it's a really, really good idea as long as you're not near a parking lot or where people are going to leave their cars running. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. They're, they're sending out pollutants into the air and the pollutants are going to go everywhere in every direction and right on top of your, your vegetables. That, well, it would be something to think about in the city for sure. Absolutely. Um, I'd yeah, think about it in the yeah. country too if I was next to a gravel pit. Right. Well, yeah, just the dust and everything. The dust of... and the pollutants from yeah. the trucks and everything. I mean, you can't garden in a vacuum. You've got to have a whole feeling for the whole neighborhood, whatever your neighborhood may be with these 20 acres next to, you know, an airstrip. You'd think of things in a very different way than you would for half an acre in the middle of the city. Right. And I'm always thinking that bits of land that we have you know, it's too bad we aren't growing more more food. Oh, God, when you, when you look at it, all sorts yeah. of strips. They're called orphan bases in this city. God, there are all sorts of places in back alleys. We're doing a garden. We're, we're installing a garden, or we will be in a few weeks. And in the back alley, there is the most perfect place to put herbs, some vegetables. So we're going to take that, and we're hoping it's going to influence everybody else along the, in that alley to add their own bits and pieces to this urban landscape. I mean, it's yeah. just rooftops should be, absolutely. Now, they've yeah. changed rules yeah. in various parts of the world. In Germany and in France, new buildings cannot have roofs without a rooftop garden. 
And I just oh, think that's really? a brilliant idea. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And I know in some areas of inner cities, they've added gardens and that having people working in the gardens and oh. taking pride in the gardens. and it, Absolutely. It, it's changed people's lives in, in some Absolutely. of these. Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, isn't, this should be going on in all, all through social housing. And it should yeah. be a community effort. They've had a hugely successful one here in a, in a high-rise building where they've used everything they can think of to grow vegetables in. And everybody who's got enough wheat grows vegetables, and then they share. It's terrific. So what about buying plants? What can you tell us about where should we well, buy Well, the thing them is to have a really, really good for? idea of what you're going to go out and buy. Don't just go to us the way you would a supermarket when you're hungry. <laughs> have a list. Make sure that when you select the plants, really look at them carefully. You don't pick the plant that's mostly in bloom. Have a good idea what it looks like and check it out on the internet or in books, what have you. And find one that looks like it's got a really nice solid root system where the foliage is healthy. It isn't covered with blight or bugs or anything like that. Don't necessarily pick one that's in bloom. I'm all for growing things that are small and let them grow into what they should become rather than having instant effect. And one of the things I do when I'm out with a shopping cart is I place things in the cart so that you can see how they're going to look together in the garden. Mm. So you're looking at textures, you're looking at the form of leaves, you're looking at the color of leaves, and you're going to know what the color of the plants is like. So you, you have this sort of beginning of your garden design before you even leave the parking lot. Okay. One of the things that I struggle with is having the right height of plants. How do we do a better job of planning for different heights of plants? Well, um, read the tags. Take them seriously. Uh, usually the heights they suggest are a 10-year growth. Take that pretty seriously. So if something is going to go the six feet in 10 years and you're putting it in a spot which will only take something that will grow three feet, then you're going to be in trouble. And it might look a little, mm, you know, not perfect for a couple of years, but then it's worth it. Um, that's number one, read the tags. Number two, give the plants enough space so that you've got varying heights near each other so that you're not leaving big gaps at the eye level, at the five or six foot level. And buy plants of different heights. Okay. People seem to be very good about getting things that are very tall and very small and forget that sort of medium <laughs> range. You want a layered I look. Certainly, yeah, yeah, I can certainly relate We, we once went into a famous gardener's garden and couldn't shoot it because everything was about two feet tall and it just looked stupid. Uh, right. Garden designer, he wasn't. <laughs> but it was just one of those weird things. You either have an eye for this or you don't. And if you don't have an eye for it, you can save yourself a lot of money and a lot of aggregation down the road by hiring somebody who is good with being able to see a garden and be able to give you good garden advice. And this is the time to sign up for it because in about six weeks, the stampede will be on and everybody is going to be wanting help and they're going to want right. it now and they're going to have to line up. I've got a newsletter which just came out today and if anybody wants it, it's got a lot of really good advice about how to how to hire um, a professional, who you need, when, and what. And they just have to get oh. in touch. So if you just get in touch okay. with me at my MarjorieHarris.com, you'll see Contact Me and ask for the newsletter, and I'll send it. Okay, I will do that. 
The thing is that there, there are so many garden scams that you have to be very, very careful. Before you hire somebody, really know who they are, what they do, have a look at what they've done before, ask for pictures. And if right. they are going to put peat moss around in your garden, don't hire them. And there are a whole bunch of things going on that are just crazy. And it's because nobody necessarily has to have a degree to become a gardener. And if, if you've got a truck and say, you know, you're a gardener, and you've got a big, uh-huh. big mower and you've got a blower, people are, tend to take you fairly seriously. Whereas a real gardener has a towel and a shovel. Uh-huh. Doesn't necessarily need to have a big truck and a lot of fancy equipment. But they've got to have an eye and a real passion for plants. And you can only find that out by talking about them, talking about what they feel about plants, what kind of plants they like. Do you even have the same kind of aesthetic? Yeah, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, when should people hire help? This time of the year. One, if your garden is overwhelming, it's somebody good who can just give you the tidying up it needs, you know, the cutting back, the edging. These are all things I love to do myself, so I wouldn't ever hire anybody to do it. But sometimes you just, you look at the garden and think it's hopeless. Somebody comes in and does a cleans up and then adds some compost. And it looks great. And then you feel, I can move ahead with this now. I can see what's there. That's very, very useful. And then if you've got things that really bother you, like a flood, uh, like standing water, um, you want to have a new path, if you want to have small things done, a garden designer or um, a landscaper can probably handle everything. But if you want serious, you know, big retaining walls, and you're going to have to, you're getting into the landscape architecture land, and that's expensive. So you right. really, really want to check people out. Yeah. My husband and I want to plant some maple trees. Should we do that in the spring or should we do it in the fall? And I do it in the spring. We okay. And, and we, we, we find out the, the maples that really do well in your area. Okay. What area do you live in? We're near Cambridge. We're sort of southeast of Cambridge, Ontario. Make sure that you're putting them in a spot where they're yet well watered. Don't stick them way up on a hill or anything like that where their root systems. I mean, with maples, they've got these. Hills. <laughs> you don't have any hills. Okay, there you no, go. We're, 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 I told you we're on the edge of the swamp. Well, that's yeah, right. You did the, say that. I forgot that. Yeah, we're in the low. Um, we're in the low spot. In that area, there are lots of interesting trees that you can plant. Have a look at the trees of the Carolinian forest. They're right on the edge there. Right. You could you could be planting Kentucky coffee trees. Um, some beautiful Never stuff. Heard of it. Oh, it's gorgeous. There are books out on the uh, Carolinian forest. We're in southern Ontario. We're just at the edge of it. We're just at the lip. And, of course, with changing weather patterns and whatnot. I I have a Kentucky coffee tree, a tulip tree, um, a silk fringe tree. And just make sure that you're within that boundary, that zone, and have a look at the native stuff that you've got there. And don't just plant maples. Do a mixed forest. Oh, that sounds great. That's exciting. Yeah, because you want to have enough for all the animals, all the good bugs and butterflies and whatnot. And for instance, everybody's planting um, milkweed. Make sure that you're planting the right kind mm-hmm. of milkweed for the butterflies. The right kind? Incarnata, yeah. More than, I didn't no, know there are more two than kinds. One, kind. one is, is a weed and it just moves all over the place. But Incarnata is the one you want. Go to wildflowerfarms.ca. I think it's okay. .ca or .com. Anyway, Wildflower Farms, they sell seeds, and they sell seeds to the right one. 
that's going to be another one of these scams that comes along. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you got to be careful. But it is something that everybody should consider. For instance, out at the Toronto Botanical Gardens, the wrong kind of milkweed was put in, and it's just spread everywhere. They spend a lot really? of time having to damn stuff out. Yes, really. Uh, and it's so you've got to be careful with this. Fooling around with nature is a very, very tricky thing. It's not just that simple little thing that people think it is. You know, if we yeah. take this out and put that back in. Yeah, I grew up near Rondo Park, a little place called Ridgetown, Ontario, and and we had the tulip trees. Oh, That's, God, they're gorgeous there. They are, yeah, yeah. They certainly grow in Toronto. I have a huge one in my backyard. Well, they are they are beautiful and, you know, quite unique. Even though people knew Rondo Park was there, you know, still even people in that area are not so familiar with the tulip tree. Really aren't. They're hard to find. I'm doing a garden down there on Lake Erie, and oh. we're having to look all over the place for these native plants, and they grow there naturally. Yeah. I mean, it's just wild. So is there something important that you want to be sure that we share with our listeners today? Make sure that you're planting native plants and don't just use exotics. Don't just use anything, one of anything. Think about what your space is. Make sure you know the, the light requirements of the plants that you're going to bring in because you're stuck with whatever light you got. I mean, you can make shade, but it's very hard to make sun without cutting down trees. Uh, and if you know this and know it well, do a little research, find out what are the very best of the garden-worthy native plants. Not all of them work well in gardens. Some of them are too aggressive. You can't just assume anything about plant. Oh, well, it's native, it's fine. Not necessarily. So a little research will help you a lot, a little bit of reading. There are some good magazines around, and there are, of course, excellent books. And, of course, the Internet is just a gold mine. but you have to be careful about the information there, where it comes from. And make sure it's from your area. Okay. And tell us a bit about your books, what kinds of information people can find in them, and where they can find your books. Thirsty Gardening, they can buy it directly from me, or they can go to Indigo or places like that. Just demand it. It's called Thrifty Gardening from the Ground Up, and it's published by House of Anansi. And I think it's a really good little book. It covers a lot of the territory from whether you're living in a, a small or large garden to balcony gardening. A lot of people are moving into condominiums and they've got tiny spaces to deal with. Well, the book handles all of that. It's full of good tips. That's great. Now, if people want to know more about your business or if they want to contact you, you mentioned the newsletter, which I am going to uh, make sure I get hooked up with that. But how can people reach you? Oh, great, because with the new law... You have to ask me for it. I can't say to you, I'll send it to you. You uh-huh. have to go to MarjorieHarris.com. It says, contact me, and then just say, I want the newsletter, and I'll send it to you. Okay. And I guess people could contact you through the website as well. Yes, is that the absolutely, best way? for sure. Yep. Okay, that would be the best way. My email is in the newsletter. Okay, that's great. Any final thoughts? Yes, I just hope that spring is going to happen very soon. I just, I long for that day when you get up in the morning until five or six in the morning and there's that lovely soft haze of green as things are just starting to furl out. I just, every day I rush upstairs and look outside and I'm waiting for the moment. To me, it is the most joyous time of year. And of course, it's that whole feeling of renewal, which is perfect at this time of year. 
Yeah, and I think we're coming out of this long, cold winter that we've had, and I think that many of us are very anxious to, to oh, see if terribly. it's more sun. And, oh, it's just we really need that that sun just, you know, for our frame of mind and our sanity. We need <laughs> We lose a little bit of it in February, and especially when we've had a March like we've had, right? Yes, just, just a winter too long. Yeah. Our producer was very anxious to hear what you have to say. I don't know if you saw her comment at the very beginning there. She said that, that you're like a rock star to her. I don't know <laughs> if you caught that. <laughs> no, I didn't get that. Uh, okay, tell her but, uh, I appreciate that. If she could see the way I dress, she'd think I was a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we thank you very much for joining us today, Marjorie. There was so much for us to talk about that I would love to have you back to talk about perhaps the other book, the other thrifty book at some point. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, bye, Marjorie. Remember that you can always send me an email. I'm here to help. Let's book a time to chat. Tell me about your financial goals, and we'll we'll make a plan to help you achieve them. So there's a free 30-minute telephone consultation for you. Just let me know when you'd like to do that. Remember, I welcome your comments. Send me that email. Be glad to chat with you. This is Lynn Wedham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. We hope you'll join us next time. To learn more about mindful money management, we welcome you to go to soundcloud.com and search Step Right with Lynn. We appreciate your follows, likes, and shares. Until next time, remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community.